Action Park Media. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the National Football League's 1998 player draft. The right quarterback can change a football team's fortune. In the NFL college draft, where the teams with the worst records get the highest picks, the prospect of turning around a franchise with one top player is tantalizing. We needed a quarterback, and we had an opportunity to really pick someone special, whether it was Ryan Leaf or, or Peyton Manning. These are both very good athletes. They're both very big, young football players. The scouts were split 50-50. Those that supported Manning were intellectually convinced. Those that supported Leaf were emotionally convinced. Their argument was great athlete, much better athlete than Peyton Manning. He wants to run it. Leaf. Ryan Leaf was a blue chip prospect from Great Falls, Montana, who led Washington State University to its first Rose Bowl in 67 years. With the uh, first pick of the draft, the Indianapolis Colts select quarterback, University of Tennessee, Peyton Manning. Bill goes, Ryan's got a stronger arm than Peyton, but Peyton Manning is the quarterback. We had a second choice in the draft. The San Diego Chargers select quarterback, Washington State University, Brian Leaf. You're now listening to Bust, the Ryan Leaf story. So I'm from Great Falls, Montana. I'm the only Montanan who's ever been drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Let me put this in perspective for you, all right? There are more first-round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. I didn't have a trailblazer. There's no reason why I should have ever gotten where I got to. I have an amazing family. I'm not a product of my environment. I don't like that saying at all because if that were the case, I was raised by amazing parents. I would never ended up on a prison cell floor. So I don't buy into that at all. It's about choice. My dad's my hero. My dad is a two-tour Vietnam veteran who came home, got spit on, told he was nothing, raised three boys, was an amazing father, husband, started his own business. Here's a perfect role model, too, for me. My dad just loved sports. He played quarterback in high school, never lost a game in high school, I guess. So he didn't push me to do anything. No one did. It just was small-town sports. You just did it. I love competing. I competed at everything. So just to be clear, like I love basketball, if not more than the same amount that I love football. And if I could have done that, if I could have been doing that for a living, I, I probably would have. It just seemed more, well, it probably fit me better because it was more individualistic, right? Like football is more of a team game. But I was kind of all about myself, and that's where I could showcase who I was more publicly, really. My dad would wake me up at 6 a.m. We'd talk about it, the stats upstairs around the, the table, and then he would take me to school early, and I'd have to make you know, so many free throws and so many three-pointers before I could go to class. And there were many a day where I showed up to late to first period because I hadn't, I hadn't made my shots yet. That was, that was me. My mom was raised by an alcoholic father. And she was the oldest of five daughters. And she kind of became like their mother. And she saw behavior in him that she would hold on to. He, he embarrassed the family. She was responsible for taking care of him. 
um, and keeping it hidden from the outside world because he was a well-respected community member. And so if any of those behaviors in me were exhibited growing up, I was shamed, told I was bad. That's where it started for me in terms of like hiding, not showing vulnerability, um, presenting the Instagram world to everybody else, like this perfect world that exists and not all the, all the boils and, and scars and things that real humans are. My grandma, my little five foot five inch grandmother, she had a grandson, a starting quarterback in the Pac-10, Pac-12 for 14 consecutive years from 1994 to 2008. Family's athletic and we compete. And so that was it. Whenever there was anything to do, run track, play football, play basketball, play baseball, golf, any of it. I, I did it. I just competed and I was better than everybody at it. And I didn't really realize it until like I started getting treated differently. People would come watch me and I noticed that I could get away with stuff that others couldn't. Like there weren't the consequences weren't as severe for me if I acted out or misbehaved or had a bad attitude on the court because guess what? Coach wanted me to play. You know, he wasn't gonna bench me, wasn't gonna bench my ass, I was the star. So once I kind of noticed that, noticed that there was like this little pedestal that I started getting placed upon, no one was really telling me anything, what I could do or what I couldn't do. I just did it, you know, because guess what? When push comes to shove, you may not like this punk ass kid, but you need him to win. And so you're going to play him. You know, there was no accountability factor there. I wasn't popular growing up. I didn't have a lot of friends because I couldn't differentiate what happened on the court or the field to regular life. Like, I would embarrass you on the basketball court. Um, I'd dunk on you and, and, and make a fool of you. And then when we got in the locker room, I'd expect our relationship to be back to normal. Like, it was, you know, that was just, that's just a competing. That's not, that's not what real life's like. And they couldn't differentiate with that either. And I would lose a lot of friendships that way. And then I'd be like, fuck them. They're not getting out of this small town. I am. You know what? They're going to be pumping my gas someday. I'm sure, I know I said that to people all the time. I didn't drink or use drugs in high school. That didn't come until later. But I think the first time I really drank, like, was on my recruiting trip to Miami. I would walk into parties with a six-pack of 7-Up, and I thought I was, like, morally superior to everybody because of it. And if I got shit for it, if I wasn't part of the, the gang because of it, because I wasn't drinking or I'd say it's because you guys are you guys are the problem and I'm not going to associate myself with with people like you why would I I got such a bright future ahead you're going to be stuck here in Podunk Montana you know cow tipping until you're 40 who knows and I'd always run with uh with the older kids the kids that were more athletic that were which made it competitive for me so I could compete That's what I did all the time. Once that pedestal got to a certain point, my development stopped because I had found that that I had this golden arm, this golden jump shot, and that got me away with anything. I didn't have to to develop personality traits that would help me down the line. It just, there was an arrested development in terms of maturity and, and growing up. Once that happened, you know, I just, I behaved and did things that were impulsive of nature. And a lot of it was to fit in. 
And when it came to girls, I was so, so awkward. I was just, just you know, six foot four, 165 pound buck tooth athlete that should have been popular because he was athletic, but was so uncomfortable around girls. And I remember this, the popular kids and I guess the rich kids from the rich side of the town, they knew I liked this one girl and she was, she was cute and she was funny and she was all of these things. And they got her to, they got her to like, ask me out. Not only did they do it once, but they did it twice. The first time I showed up, she stood me up. And, and, and then I bought her excuse, you know, hook, line, and sinker. And then the second time they did it, and when I called, they were all together at, at their house, this one house. And it was just, I could just hear the laughing. I don't trust anybody. I still to this day don't trust anybody. I guard shit tight. That's been the problem with women most of my life, I think, is that I, I've never developed intimacy with a woman because... I, I would just objectify the hell out of them. All behavior stems from childhood trauma. A woman wronged you when you were 12 and that shit carries you for, for as long as you live. What I ended up making it all about was just sports, nothing else. You know, I dated a girl in, in high school from a, different, from a different high school. And I remember this girl the night of our graduation party said, why didn't you ever date anybody from our high school? And I'm such a dick. I didn't know why she was asking me the question. She was a sweet girl. But I was just like, because I'm too good for you guys. I'm too good for any of you here. That was the way I would win. You know, if I felt less than in any moment, I would win by bravado and ego. You know, the funny thing about uh, egomaniacs is that, like, they have the, the slimmest of self-esteem that there is. It's a narcissism thing. I know I'm still a narcissist. Like, I'll walk into a room, and I'm, and I'm thinking, please don't recognize me. Please don't recognize me. You know, and then like 15 minutes later, no one's recognized me, and I'm like, fucking, why isn't anybody recognizing me? That's, that's the narcissist in me. And that stems from just, you know, being a popular uh, or a well-known sports star in a small state, small town. I was an asshole on the basketball court. I was ahead of my time, right? So when Kobe Bryant, I remember watching him and he dunked this ball. We're the same age, Kobe and I. He's a year younger than me. Or was a year younger than me. And he dunked this ball in high school and turned it in like to a jet airplane. and started going like this down the court. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I grew up with the Michigan Fab Five and those shorts. Uh, the haircuts and the black socks. And that's, in Montana, it's not, you, you can't be that way. Right, it's predominantly white. I grew up in a very white community, a privileged white community. There was, I think, two black student athletes, or two black students at my high school, and they were all be there because of, because of the Air Force Base locally, and I was close to them, but I wouldn't have known what it was like to be marginalized ever in my life, you know, growing up where I did. So when I behaved like what these people, white privileged, and had some racial tendencies to it, when I acted like that, they saw it as, you know, misbehaving or a problem child because I wanted to be Jalen Rose. That's who I wanted to be. Like, you know, Larry Bird wasn't my hero. Jalen Rose was my hero. I wanted to be a six foot seven inch point guard who could score and, and dish and all of that stuff. Ten rebounds a game, eight assists a game. You know, luckily, we had a couple other great players. Um, we had a junior, a kid I played with growing up my whole life who lived just down the block named Kelly Dara. And he averaged about 
15 or so a game with me. So I didn't have to score 35, which if, if we didn't have Kelly, I was going to have to score 35 a game. And I could have and would have. They were coming to see me play. I'm going to tell you the story. We were on the road playing at this new high school in Billings. And my coach, you know, we're back there warming up and just kind of getting ready for the varsity game. The JV game is being played. So my head coach is walking out there. He's sitting out there kind of sitting on the bleachers. And a guy walks up to him and goes, hey, that Leaf boy playing tonight? And Coach McLean's like, yeah, that's what he does. He's going he's gonna to lace him up tonight. And uh, he's like, good. I came here to watch him and to boo his ass. That was – and Mike McLean finally kind of realized that, like, I mean, they fucking hate him. They hate me already because of how I, how I behaved when I played. You know, I, I, it's hard to imagine this, but slam dunks, dunking the basketball, it just didn't happen. And I was doing it. Interestingly, you know, I won the dunk contest in Montana. I could fly. I had like a 36-inch vertical. Jam it on somebody and just kind of, you know, as I go through their body, I'd stand over them and just kind of be like, you know, arms out. Um, on the football field, same thing. You know, I'd score and my arms would be like this. I'd look at the crowd. And the problem is everybody made such a big deal of it. And then my mom made such a big deal of it. Like, oh, my God, they're calling my son bad. I, this can't be. Ryan, you need to calm down. You can't. She was so worried about people looking at her son because she saw how immature I was. And she just knew, like, if he fails, like, if it gets bad, everybody's going to see what I see at home sometimes and him just acting out in such a way. She was right, because that's what would happen in the NFL. It hadn't happened yet. But I was just told how, what a shitty person I was, that I just got so angry at everybody, and it was my way of, it was my way of getting back, you know? When we opened the game on the road with an alley-oop, backdoor alley-oop, and I just flush it, and I just turn and walk by the opposing team's coach, and I'm like, you, got it. you had to fucking know that was coming, coach. And you still couldn't stop it, you know? Like... He's not going to like that, right? The coach is not going to like that. But come on, what's wrong with that? You know, you're 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 balling. Again, I just heard over again, "Oh, you're bad." Not that you're not that you're like, you know, you did you did something bad. No, you're you're a bad you're a bad person. And that's shame. You think you're a bad person rather than you you did a bad thing, right? I still I still carry that shit to this day. Thinking that I'm a bad person when I know I just did a bad thing. The basketball coach we had my entire high school career up until my senior year was a guy that didn't play underclassmen, just didn't. And I was by far the best basketball player at that school probably my freshman year. Sophomore year, didn't even get a run. I got to play a JV game my sophomore year one time. Then my junior year, he finally lets me play some varsity, but he doesn't start me. I lead the team in scoring through the first like five or six games coming off the bench. So finally, I guess they bench a senior and put me in to start. And then I start the rest of the year. Now, you know, I talk about having issues with coaches and I had a terrible issue with this basketball coach. And then I, what's the common variable in all this? And it's me. I get that. But luckily for me and my love for basketball, they fired him uh, in the offseason between my junior and senior year because I was really contemplating going out to a smaller school, not only to play football, 
but to play basketball too because I loved basketball so much more. And I was like, I cannot take another year playing for this guy. I just can't. And they fired him and hired one of those coaches from that little, little outskirts of town, a little town called Chester, Montana. His name was Mike McLean. Best thing that ever happened to me. Guy showed up, had heard every rumor about me, met me for the first time, and was just like, what the hell were people talking about? All this kid wants to do was play ball and win. How can this be bad? And then he saw how people treated me. And that guy couldn't be more of a support staff for me to this day. And he went to bat for me. Now he, don't get me wrong, like when I dunked that ball and turned into the jetliner, he put my ass on the bench immediately because he's still, you know, he's still, this was a conservative state, introverted people, just, you know, just do it well, but don't showboat at all or just don't, don't be yourself, essentially. Just, just win and go to bed, okay? But he had my back, man. It was the best team a CMR had had for years and years and years. We made it to the consolation game. We struggled when they, when defenses found a way to stop me, which was the double team or triple team me, and our rest of the team just didn't quite know how to play together as a team yet because, you know, the ball ran through me all the time. I'm not on the Hall of Fame um, in my high school for football, by the way. The only reason I'm on the basketball one is because my coach, who was my my coach for one year, came in and was like, what's the deal with, with the state and, and Ryan? Because I coach him, and I watch other coaches, and I talk to other coaches, and in football, he's the best football player in the state. In basketball, he's the best basketball player in the state. Why isn't he an all-state all basketball player? And one of the coaches came back to him and said, we don't like his attitude. My high school football coach's name was Jack Johnson. He is a legend in the state. And he was he was like God, right? I feared him and I wanted to please him and make him proud. He was kind of like a, a second father. And he turned out to be just the the most giant douchebag you can imagine. Now this is my freshman year. There was an A and B team, and during in the A game I played quarterback. And then I was like, let me play Let me play in the B game. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to compete. Let me play in the B game, and let me play wide receiver and safety. So let me play wide receiver, and then I go back and play safety. And these fucking freshman B-team quarterbacks were just fucking awful. And I would just read their eyes, and I'd pick it off. I'd blow their guys up, and I'd just... A guy would catch it, and he didn't really know how to secure the football because he's a freshman B-team player, and i just rip it out of his head. You could hear the parents on the sideline screaming like, why are you letting him play? I should have been the starter for the varsity team. Not not my freshman year. My freshman year, we had the, the stud. We had the, the greatest of all time in Montana high school sports, Dave Dickinson. So I could have... Yeah, but I could have been the backup that year for sure. My junior year, Jack Johnson, he didn't start me. People were going to start thinking he had dementia or something. Why isn't the Leaf kid playing, you know? So finally, we lost to Helena Capital, who was a monster. That team was, they weren't going to be beat. They had a ton of Division I players, and they were, they were good. And he finally started me. He played me. We played this, this Canadian team that came down from Lethbridge, and he let me play a little bit more. And just every time I touched the ball, we scored. So then the next week we're playing Billings Senior, which had a you know Division One or at least Division One AA quarterback named Todd Buchanan on the other side. 
and coach gave me the green light that I was going to be the starter. They're going to move the quarterback that was there to wide receiver, starting wide receiver. And he was going to be my guy. And the headline in the paper that morning was uh, uh, the wrestlers have a new leaf on life. No, we went out and won. We went out and won every game. I started that year until the second to the last game, and we were on the road against uh, Missoula Big Sky, who was a bruising team, too. It was kind of a cold, wintry day, and uh, they beat our ass. And I remember Coach Coach Johnson brought all the whole team in on Saturday morning to watch the film and just, you know, eviscerate all of us. And the team was laden with seniors. A lot of kids I grew up with playing because they were older, the coach's son, his all his friends, and they were mostly on the defensive side of the football. And I remember that whole meeting was Jack Johnson just ripping me a fucking new one, pointing out like glaring mistakes on my part. Or, and I remember standing up one time. I'm like, oh, why can't we go to the fucking shotgun and do some? She goes, Leaf, the only damn shotgun you'll ever see is the one pointed at you from the sideline. If you ask for that shit again, you know, I sat in that meeting with all with his son. And all his friends and that defense, and I'd like just took this berating, and everybody in the, everybody in the the meeting knew it wasn't my fault. We lost the game, right? It just I was I got to be the punching bag for everybody, and they saw me kind of just take it, and I think that gave them a newfound respect for me. We came out the next week against Great Falls Higher, our crosstown rival, and whooped their ass. We went to the playoffs in the first round, played the team that we got embarrassed by the two weeks prior. We fucking beat them, and then we got. We got to play for the state championship against the team that beat us earlier that was undefeated. And we had a great game plan in. A few juniors got a chance to play in that game. I threw a touchdown to one of them. I ran another touchdown, and we beat the team that they said was unbeatable, and we were state champions as a junior. This weekend, it's crossing pattern where we're going to set two guys across and bring the tight end back across the other way, and they bit on Almanza and Lucas. So I look like a fucking scarecrow. The shoulder pads come out here, and there's these toothpicks coming down out of it six foot four 165 pounds right i should probably break every time i get hit i remember that bus ride home and one of the senior running backs john avery was his name blair and we are the champions by queen i mean literally the it was the whole ride back and for the first time that night i got invited to parties with these guys and i was just kind of like this is what i have to do i gotta win and i gotta i gotta be a champion and then people will accept me so that was one of the greatest nights of my life in high school i remember So that final year, my senior year, the head coach finally opened the offense up a little bit just because I don't know if I get to go any place bigger than Montana or Montana State if, if I don't showcase that I could still throw the football because we ran the option so much. So he let me, he let me air it out a little bit more that senior year, and I had a heck of a lot of fun doing it. We lost the opening game to Helena Capital again. A lot of mistakes, and we got beat. You know, we kind of had a come-to-Jesus moment, and then we started rolling people. Um, and I was throwing three or four touchdowns a game. And number one team in the state came into our stadium in week five, and uh, I threw for like 250 yards and three touchdowns. And we beat the number one team in the state, and we're getting back to where we need to be. And then that week in practice, it was snowing, it was cold, and a defensive lineman got too close to me, and my thumb came down on his helmet, and it broke my thumb. So they put me in a cast. It was like I had lost... A limb. I was so distraught and upset. You know, I didn't make the trip to Galesville. I didn't make the trip to Butte because I was hurt. And we won by one point in both those games. In the backup, you know, he did okay. He worked hard, and, he, and I felt like he was going to be a good quarterback. His name was Jeff Hallett. 
And then week three came along. We're playing Hellgate at home, and Hellgate was bad. Hallett played really well. I think he threw three touchdowns or something, and we beat the hell out of him. And I was like, fuck this. This kid ain't taking my starting position and winning a state championship when this is my team. So I'm fucking playing. So I went into the doctor. They took the cast off. They did the x-ray again, and they just, they just said, it hasn't healed enough, Ryan. It hasn't healed enough, so we're going to put the cast back on. And I was just... While they're putting it on, I'm, like, crying. And my mom and dad are just like, what do we do? And I go home, and I, you know, I'm yelling at mom and dad. I'm like, why did you let them do this? Um, so I'm sitting. I don't know what class it is, but, of course, this is back in the day where they could give two shits if you have a pocket knife in, in school. And I pull my pocket knife out, and I start cutting. And I start cutting, and I start cutting. And I cut through the whole cast, and I show up at practice with the trainer and say, fucking tape it. Let's go. He calls my dad. They had played high school football together. And my dad tells me the story about getting that phone call from, from Wiley Kendall, who was the uh, athletic trainer. He's like, John, you need to get down here. Ryan's in my office, and he wants to practice. And he's, he doesn't have a cast on anymore. So that doctor wouldn't sign off. So my mom and dad went. We went and found another doctor that would sign off on my thumb. Because I was going to play. We get back to the playoffs. And we're, we're going to defend our title. And we play Missoula Big Sky in the first round. And it's a, it's a tightly contested football game. We had beat them two weeks earlier in my first game back. And there were some very controversial calls that happened. Both on touchdown runs by me. So there's a conspiracy in Montana a little bit around this. Because the officials were from outside the town. And on both occasions, I faked the handoff, I pulled it and kept it on the option, and I took off for like 45, 50-yard touchdowns on both of them. About halfway down, these whistles blow out of nowhere. Both touchdowns negated, brought us back, and we ended up losing that game and not going on to the state championship to defend our title. I'm surprised I got recruited so heavily. I don't know how the hell it happened. I got recruited by everybody you can think of. My recruiting trips ended up being Colorado State wanted to go. But Colorado had Cordell Stewart and Coy Detmer. I was like, if I go there, I might never see the field. I mean, these two are unbelievable. I wanted to be a Buffalo like nobody's business. And San Diego State was something I looked at. UCLA, Oregon, you know, Miami. Dennis Erickson was at Miami. And that recruiting trip was just, I think that recruiting trip was just to go on a recruiting trip, right? I was, I was still 17, hadn't drank yet in my life. Bryce Erickson, Dennis Erickson's son, was my host. They take us to Dan Marino's Bar and Grill, hand me this thing called a rum and coke. I drink like two of them, and I'm throwing up everywhere, and and, and I'm in like flannel and cut-off jeans. Like, I mean, I look like such a fish out of water. And then we get in this limo late at night to go down to this other party, and who's in this limo? And I don't know who the hell they are at the time, right? But one of them's Warren Sapp. The other one's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But he's not The Rock yet. He's just this, you know, Polynesian, big-ass defensive lineman that's like, go, get the fuck in here, Leaf, you know? And we go to the party, right? And we party all night long and get back to the hotel, and they freaking, they take me into in the hotel room, and they, they cut lines in my eyebrow for being a West Coaster, you know, East Coast, West Coast. So now, I've never been hungover in my life, so I'm hungover. The GA, graduate assistant, who's supposed to like take care of me that day, is just like, hey, go lay on my couch in my office. So I don't go to any of the academic meetings. I don't go do anything the whole day. 
I just lay in his office the whole time. Turns out that GA, head coach from Washington State's son, Eric Price. And Dennis Erickson, at the end of the trip and the exit interview, was just like, uh, our recruiting coordinator really kind of sees you more as a, a linebacker tight end type. So I just want, I want you to be aware of that and understand that. And I, I give him a ton of credit for being honest with me um, because I wasn't going to play tight end or, or linebacker. And so that made the decision pretty easy for me. I wasn't going to go there. It was just too much of a fish out of water for me. South Beach comparatively to fucking Great Falls, Montana. But I fly back. I land Tuesday morning at like like noon. We play Great Falls High, our crosstown rival in basketball that night. I'm fucking hungover still. Slices in my eyebrows. My head coach has got to be looking at me like you're nuts. I'm throwing up during the first half. I go out and score like 25 points and hit the game-winning free throw to win it, the Crosstown Rivalry game. Like Johnny B. Good. It's what it was. It was exactly what it was. And when I hit those buckets to win it, and the place went nuts, and it was, I was just like, I'm a fucking golden god. What's going to stop me? What's ever going to stop me? I got the world at my, at my fingertips. When I was coming to Washington State for my visit, they like set me up with a host who was incredibly religious, was told that Ryan probably won't want to go out and like go to parties or, or you know, anything like that. Just, you know, kind of show him football stuff and maybe take him to where where we do our study hall and the tutors and shit like that. We go to a couple of these, uh, you know, educational things and I finally look at him. His name is Chad DeGrenier. Uh, he was a backup quarterback. And I go, I'm just like, hey, man. Are you going to show me what being on Washington State's campus is like so I, so I know? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, are we going to go to a party? Are we going to go meet some girls? What? I mean, come on, man. He's like, I was told that's not you. And I'm like, who the fuck are you talking to, man? You know, let's go. And that's when we ran into two of my old linemen who would be my, the guys that would protect me and my blind side for the rest of my career. Ryan McShane, Chopper. Because he would chop block like crazy. That's that's how he got it. Chop. So we call him Chop. The other one was Jason McIndoo, who was a highly recruited guard who's now at Oklahoma State coaching and has been an unbelievable coach throughout his career. And I remember we went to a bunch of parties, you know, had too much to drink, uh, ended up back at the hotel. And then McIndoo used to tell me these stories, like the things I said to him that night. He was just like... I was just like, you know, hammered and it was just spewing nonsense like, yeah, when I play hoops, man, I wear a wristband that says three on it because that's all I fucking hit are threes. My truck has a has a license plate on it that says all net because that's all I hit, man. And I'm pretty sure after I left, they were just like, that dude is a dick, man. Now, this guy who just got done coaching Drew Bledsoe at, at Washington State right before me, his name's Mike Price. When that guy comes to you and says, hey... If you if you focus on this and you make this make this your priority, you can do this for a living. You believe him because he just did it with a little guy from Walla Walla, Washington, who went to be the number one pick in the NFL draft and would go on to sign, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in contract money. So I believed him and I said, Okay. I said, I'm gonna give up this basketball dream of mine and play football, but I better I'm, I better be your starting quarterback. And he I, I gotta give the guy a ton of credit. He's like He's like, you haven't done, you haven't earned it yet. But I guarantee you, if you put the time and effort into this thing, you will be the starter at some point and you will be able to do this. And I looked at him like, 
Are you fucking nuts, man? Don't you know who I am? I'm Ryan fucking Leaf. You best recognize what that means. <laughs>